and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it, but you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, and we'd love for you to come and visit us. There you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. And if you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, all of that will be at your fingertips. It's a comprehensive tarot education for less than the price of, I don't know even what. My point is, it's a steal. And if you become a patron at the $3 level or higher, you'll get a chance to win our giveaways, like Celeste, who won last week's prize. This week, we have a very special giveaway. The Seven of Wands is the last decan of Leo the Lion. This Deccan is ruled by Mars, and the Seven corresponds to the Sephira ruled by Venus. Therefore, our prize for this episode's giveaway is the fabulous and rare perfume of Babylon, goddess of love and war. It's a collaboration that Mel and I dreamed up, and we've offered it only once before. This perfume is rich with frankincense, myrrh, and rose. It's also tinted blood red using natural tinctures of alkanet root and dragon's blood. This is a pure and carnal perfume, primal and lusty, and the artwork on the label features the goddess Babylon as she is depicted in the exclusive alternate lust card from Mel's Tabula Mundi deck. She is riding the beast of chaos. She is aflame with strife, victory, and valor, and she takes no prisoners. The Seven of Wands was the first episode we've ever recorded over Skype, and you'll notice at the beginning we had some rockiness with the audio, but it does smooth out pretty quickly, so thanks for bearing with us. And now, here's this week's episode. We are here to discuss the Seven of Wands, and it has taken great valor on our parts and persistence, courage, and forbearance to get to the point where we could record. We're trying to do this over Skype, which is apt because this is the Lord of Valor. Hooray! Yes, the Seven of Wands. Um, valor both in the uh, Golden Dawn system and in Crowley's system. Valor, the word... I was just looking it up before, comes from the Latin, valere, to be strong. It's cognate with value, valuable, valiant. Yeah, I've read that that uh, val prefix has a meaning of worthiness. Yeah. So it's not just courage, but, uh, you know, there's a worthiness to stand up for your, your rights or what you believe in. Yeah, it's almost like... You have to prove, uh, not just be strong, but prove that you're strong. Yeah. 
we've been through the, this is the final decan of Leo. We've been through the five, six, and seven, which means we've been through strife. We've been through victory. And here we are at Valor, which is interesting because I think the way that they usually kind of represent the sequence is that, you know, first this there's this, you know, kind of contention and pressure, and then there's a moment of balance. But then the worm kind of turns. And by the time you're at the seven, it's like one against everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the sevens are all difficult cards because the the element is building and then it reaches this sort of harmony and balance in the six. And then all the sevens, it's where it first shows the element starting to disintegrate and it's off the middle pillar on the seven. So yeah, there's there's so much that's interesting about sevens generally, I think, even in sort of traditional cardomantic interpretations of seven, there's there's always that sort of, um, well, the, the, the off balance thing that all the odd cards have, you know, um, mm. that sort of trying to uh, the the ego versus the other, you know, always trying to to strive and to uh, and to prevail. Yeah, in particular, when we um, get into the Kabbalah material, there's there's a lot of things about seven which are simply unique to sevens. Yeah. So should we talk more about the um, about the actual Deccan of Leo? Um, sure, I'll start wherever you want to start. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. so much. There's a lot in this <laughs> there's one. There's so yeah. much. There's so much in this one. So uh, third Deccan of Leo is August 11th to August 23rd. I guess what we're seeing is, you know, more of this relationship between Mars and the sun, which we've seen a little bit of before. For example, we saw it with the three of wands, the sun in Aries, where uh, the sun was in a sign ruled by Mars. And now here we have Mars in a sign ruled by the sun. There's that quality of the relationship between these two fiery bodies and uh, and what comes from that. And then there's also the the other side of the fact that it's a seven means that it brings in a Venusian influence. So then we have the Mars Venus um, pairing as well. Yes, yeah, that's true. It's a it's a pairing, but it's sort of a, an an off balance pairing in the sense that you know the planetary force of Mars is balanced with the Sephira mm-hmm. Venus. That's so right. Mm-hmm. It's not you know. It's not an exact match, but it's definitely there's a there's a match there. There's a yin yang, you know, so you have this sort of quality of the Mars warrior and the solar king uh, having this relationship. And yet, you know, there's the sort of destabilizing force of Venus, of, you know, of the goddess um, trying to the instinct. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to have her say in this sort of triumvirate since you know since we're talking about venus already maybe we should go right into the kabbalah this time yeah there's some interesting things there yeah you know the fact that it's a seven sevens are really interesting because there's two things going on so you have this off balance thing in this in the seven and then it's kind of corrected by or there's an attempt to correct it by what happens in the eights so Mm -hmm. the sevens are really visceral where the eights are very logical right you might say but then the sevens are they're trying to balance what happened in the five Mm -hmm. you know they're the other side 
you get the of what's the perfect harmony in the six. So they're trying to, you know, so if you look at the ones, the five where you had all that pressure of strife, the remedy for that is to take action and, and let that pressure out. Right. And again, that sort of reflects the sort of thing we have going on with these decans always, which in the five, six, seven sequence, the five starts at the six is the point of balance. The seven is where it's going away. So they have a symmetry, right. the five and the seven. Right. Right. And also, you know, what you're saying about the seven and the eight is interesting because, you know, the seven is the Sephira Netzach, the Sephira of Venus, which translates as, um, you know, victory, but also it's a, it's a timeless quality. It's sort of the time, the victory that comes through endurance, through time. Yeah, I've heard it referred to as the essence of being. Yeah. And I think the Golden Dawn like to call it eternity itself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't heard that one recently anyway that I remember. And I've also seen that the 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 seven as victory, there's a certain warrior nature there, but it's through the Venusian passion and desire. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So there's this um this desire to connect and it's a warrior I mean it can be a warrior quality, but in the sense that the warrior seeks to assimilate or to, you know, absorb or to connect in that way rather than to, um, to cut and separate. And, uh, and also it's interesting because if you take that idea of reaching through time in Netzach, it's countered by, uh, the eight, by Hode and Mercury, this kind of, uh, systematize, analyze, dissect, you know, break it down into pieces. Um, which is kind of fundamental to the contrast between seven and eight. Right. Seven's more nonverbal and feel it. Right. Right. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes exactly we, we, we contrast sevens and eight as emotions versus reason, which is just one way of looking at it. There's also that thing about sevens. There's a couple different ways to look at it. You can look at it as one against six, which it, we see in all of the different seven of wands cards we have we have sort of one wand against yep. six others but it's also four and three so like you know the the stability of the four or square with the motion of the three and you know and the kind of tension that that creates between the two right the even and the odd right the yeah even and the odd. yeah yeah and how which makes seven such a magical number the fact that you need both of them the even and the odd to make a whole seven days of the week seven colors of the rainbow seven notes of the scale you need it all okay let's see um let's see so kabbalah wise um we were saying that the you know it's associated with the sephira of netzach and uh, interpretationally, I think, you know, Crowley in particular liked to talk about the sevens as being quite degraded, um, you know, as kind mm-hmm. of that lower triad below the six, the seven, eight and nine, and how the energy was, you know, starting to kind of fall apart. <laughs> yeah, I think he said something about the seven as it, the seven of wands in particular, that it's energy's last gasp as it struggles desperately and maybe overcome and maybe overcome, but it's not a sure thing. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. 
He, he says something that I thought was funny about, uh, he, he calls it the defect inherent in Mars, that patriotism is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly the same quote I wrote down. Patriotism, so to speak, is not enough. The I love that idea of the defect inherent in the idea of Mars. I mean, um, what do you think... What do you think he means by that defect? And does every planet have such a defect? Oh, I think probably so. Every everything has its has its Achilles heel, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess you know, if I were to sort of imaginatively think about what the defect of Mars would be, it would be sort of like you know pushing beyond reasonable limits, you know, being, you know, almost like cancerously aggressive. Yeah, uh, right. Untempered by compassion, uh, without any sort of feeling for the limits of the body. Yep. Those sorts of things. Most definitely. Yeah, he says the seven is a weak, earthy, feminine number. Okay, I have feelings about that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm a weak, earthy, feminine number, too. Uh (laughs) But, but, you know, nevertheless, I I understand what he's saying. He He says it represents a departure from the balance, and it's so low down on the tree that this implies a loss of confidence. It seems like of almost everything below the six... That's true, but the seven seems to be get the the worst of it in some ways, and I think maybe it's because it's the first departure below the six. It's where it really hits you that you've lost that perfection, perhaps. The way that's represented in the card is okay. So here you have those six uh, wands of the different adepts or adepts, um, and they're all you know fancy schmancy with their phoenix heads and lotus heads and uh, yep. winged discs and then you have this like totally Blunt object <laughs> <laughs> brutal club in the middle that has you know right. zero refinement <laughs> i think that's that the blunt object is a, a phallic symbol <laughs> it's the mars of the card you know <laughs> yes exactly i think the fancy the fancy ones are the leonine aspect of the card and then you got mars yeah, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, it's like the, the warrior wanders in with a club to finish things off. It's kind of Hercules and the lion thing going yeah. on there. Brute force. Yeah, and even the, uh, the, the difference between the way the flames are depicted and the thought seven of wands and the thought six of wands, you know, and six of wands, they're all neatly sort of arranged as if they're on an altar or something. And here they're, they're all sort of sparky and out of control. You know, the the flames in general one of the things that the golden dawn did a lot is is you you see a lot descriptions of cards and certain types of flames in the wands certain types of clouds in the swords you know certain types of water in in the cups etc and um the, for leo they say the type of flames is rushing flames so the Aries is ascending flames, Leo is rushing flames, and Sagittarius is darting flames. And you can kind of see how, if you just kind of feel that on a certain level, you can picture, okay, Aries, it's the first, you know, the ascending, the first rising of the fire, and then the the really strong fixed fire is the rushing flame. And then as it passes, is passing away, the, the Sagittarian fire is more darting flames. And you can even see that same type of thing going on 
in the five, six, and seven of wands, where the where the five, the flames are like bursting out strongly in every direction, like an explosion almost. And then in the the six, they're nice and steady and like an even candle flame with no breeze, you know, mm-hmm. upright and beautiful and perfect. And then in the seven, you see they're kind of sparky and disordered and kind of chaotic. It looks like an electrical fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, you know, you have that same sort of cardinal fixed mutable pattern repeating itself both in the exactly. five, six, and seven and the Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius generally. Yeah, yeah and the Thoth deck, it's especially apparent in all the Wands cards that they they were he and Frida and Crowley were definitely trying to convey something through the types of flames in each card. Yeah, there's there's definitely a quality of kind of uh, being out of control and sputtering and flickering. And but the, the interesting thing is that you know uh, Crowley really emphasized the difficulty of the card, but Wait did not. And in the um, in his Seven of Wands, you have the um, the guy in the green shirt, and he's standing up against the six wands. But what Wait says, oh, yes, he's he says six attacking one who has the vantage position. So, you know, his idea was that this was an indication of possible success because, you know, this person was going to prevail just because they had superior advantage and and a kind of indomitable will. I think that's true in both cards because I think um, in Crowley's card, he says something like it's the disorder of battle, but overcome by the individual's effort or something like that's that. That's right. The idea that by dint of individual valor, a soldier's battle. Mm-hmm. Right. That you'll prevail over this um, battle disorder or whatever. Yeah. If victory is to be won, it's all about the hero. <laughs> if there right. is a hero. Right. And, uh, and, you know, I think that's, that's kind of what's going on in, uh, in 36 faces where uh, Austin Kopic says that, you know, the, the emblem he chooses for this is, is the banner, which is, you know, sort of a ragged torn uh, last ditch, you know, or the ramparts <laughs> yep, yep. we held the with bold, so valiantly. The bold yeah. gambit. At the, yeah. <laughs> Torn and shredded, but nevertheless um, illuminated by the raging fires of battle. Uh, yeah. So, you know, what I want to know, though, is so you look at Waits card and there's definitely um, a little bit of a message of being off balance there for two reasons. First, the first thing that comes to mind is how he's holding his wand at a diagonal. Mm-hmm. And the diagonal is always an, a, a symbol to me. The diagonal line is often a symbol, especially if it's in one direction like that, of being off balance. It can also be, um, as we've seen in other of his cards, the um, pointing to different sephiroth. Yes, I was going to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think, so if you look at, we've got Leo, which is a horizontal path, and we've got the Tower, Mars, which is also a horizontal path. But if you look at those two horizontal paths, you know, Leo goes from, you know, uh, Gevora Mm -hmm, to to Hesed, and then we've got the one below it, which is Hode and Netzach. Mm -hmm. So, but that diagonal path is between the five and the seven, which is Mars and Venus. Right. 
So there's a definite, to me, there's a definite Mars-Venus kind of battle going on. Yeah, and you know what's so cool? If you look at the Seven of Wands between the weight cards, the Tower and Strength, which are its two associated majors, in those cards, too, there is a definite sort of um, visual language from the upper left to the lower right. You know, that same diagonal from the five to the seven, from Mars to Venus, pointing towards Netzach, you can sort of see that that angle is you know, duplicated in both of those cards. And you see it again in Crowley's card in a in yeah, a weird way with yeah. the two symbols. Mars is up in the upper left and Leo is down in the lower right, creating a sort of off-balance diagonal there. That's right. And even also in the Lust card, you know, the way she's holding the sort of tongue of the lion, or is it the tongue of the lion that she's holding? I always thought it was. <laughs> or the <Maybe>. bridle. <laughs> but that's, you know, that cuts across in the same way. Yep. And then I look at the other thing that's kind of a mystery to me, but maybe it's me. Maybe maybe you can answer this. Um, to me, it says, OK, another indication of being off balance. But why is he wearing one moccasin and one boot? <laughs> I do know the answer to that. Honey, you should ask. <laughs> well, anyway, I know what the current theory of the answer is, which is um, given in um, Marcus Katz and Tali Goodwin's um, Secrets of the Waitsmith Tarot. The the thought is that this is a representation of Petruchio in The Taming of the Shrew. He, um, you know, which is such a such a very complex uh, play to to watch from the vantage point of being a modern person um, <laughs> these days. And, you know, the, the, the sexual dynamics are just really bizarre. But what Petruchio does in winning his sharp-tongued Catherine is he he does so kind of by just dissing her at every turn. Um, and what he does is he, um, he makes a deal with her dad to take her to wife because his dad says, you know, this shrew i can't marry her to anybody and he you know offers to to take take her off his hands and he disrespects her by coming to the wedding dressed like you know he's a mess basically he's got the mismatched shoes he's got I see. yeah let me just read this i have the passage right here it's kind of interesting um Petruchio is coming in a new hat and an old jerkin, a pair of old breeches thrice turned, a pair of boots that have been candle cases, one buckled, another laced, uh, an old rusty sword, etc., etc., with a broken hilt. So, so it specifically says that he's wearing two different kinds of shoes, one buckled and one laced. If you look at Pamela Coleman Smith's illustration, you can see the loose uh, shoelace on his right shoe and the other one is a is a boot which is supposedly buckled i can't really see the buckle myself but yeah and and so this is meant to um convey that sort of disrespectful attitude and the willingness to be a real nonconformist right not to be socially acceptable fascinating yeah yeah it really is and he looks pissed too <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he does, actually. He's got the Leo hair, though, going oh, on. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> the Leo hair that always looks like it's, you know, being blown by its own little fan. Exactly. <laughs> like a mane. Yes. Yeah, that's true. But as far as the colors in that card go, I mean, 
it's a lot of green. That's a lot of Venus there. The there green. is, yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting because also, you know, if you look at the associated majors for that, for, you know, the, the weight strength and the weight tower, the weight strength is a bit Venusian, you know, a particular yeah. concept yep. of Venus, right? And uh, And you can see how, you know, there's, I don't know. It just feels like there's a there's an element of Venusian trying to bend someone to your will through persuasion in there, but in you know filtered through this very martial solar sort of you know I still have to win mentality. Right. Um, as far as the Deccan imagery, it's it's kind of curious because you have um, well the one in Agrippa. He says you've got a got a young man in whose hand is a whip and a very sad man of an ill aspect, almost as if the young man is driving the the older man. And to me, that's sort of, you know, um, a lot of these Deccan images remind me of sort of different parts of your own psyche, right? Rather, it's almost like it pers- personifies different parts of your temperament. So it's as if, you know, you're driving yourself and you're miserable right, about right. it. Yeah. Past your limits. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of something. So one of the, um, if you look in 777 under the column for gods of the number seven, the seventh Sephira, Nike, uh, goddess of victory, which, so that would apply to all sevens. So, you know, sevens are always about the, you know, these difficulties to overcome in order to achieve victory. But I was, I was curious a little about, you know, Nike. So I started looking a little bit up about her history. And th- what I thought was interesting is she has three sisters. Um, yeah. Zealous, who's zeal, <laughs> Bia, who's force. Kratos, who's strength, and then there's Nike, who's victory. And wow. of all the sevens, it seems like those four sisters are really apt for the seven of wands in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So zeal, force, zeal, strength, force, strength and, victory. and victory. Four sisters. Wow. That's really cool. Is there, did you try thinking about like, could that work for the other sevens? I did. <laughs> I did give it brief, brief thought, but I came to the conclusion that it just really spoke to me about the seven of wands in particular. But I suppose you could probably make an argument for the others. You probably could, but still, that's really cool. I thought it was interesting. And Nike or Nike, she's a winged goddess, isn't she? Yeah. Yes. That's interesting. Almost as if there's like a the desire to rise to fly upwards up towards the sixth that's a right, sense of aspiration you know oftentimes seen on you know battle scenes you know yeah yeah and again that that um that theme of um goddesses who have warrior qualities about them right yeah because even though this is the place of venus it's not just a place of of sweet Bejeweled Venus. <laughs> right. It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting, a combination of Venus, Mars, and Leo. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of Venus, you, you often think of the heart, but the heart is also associated in the body with Leo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about, when I think about this card, I think about backbone, you know, having, having the stamina and having a backbone and taking heart. Yeah. And then, 
I, I kind of, so I was like, oh, taking heart, that's the Leo and the Venus part of it. And, but mm-hmm. the backbone, that's the Mars in a mm-hmm. sense, even though the backbone is also associated with Leo. Backbone is definitely martial if you think of it as the spine, which is an anagram for penis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> so, you know, the backbone is the Mars part of the equation. So I see this card and I think, you know, it's time to take heart and, you know, grow a backbone. <laughs> so there's the iron of Mars and the gold of the sun and the copper of Venus, right? So you right. have the... The, uh, the, 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 the rigidness and, and unbendingness of iron and, you know, and the radiance of gold, but, and the sort of flexi- flexibility and conductivity of copper. Or all copper, kind of, right. Yeah, all in one yeah that's really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Hmm. And another thing that, um, I read in 36 Faces was about the association of this Deccan with Serapis. Is that the right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So so and the idea that, you know, solar, but also connected with Osiris and the underworld. So, you know, again, this idea that there's an undying Lighting spirit star, yeah. that passes, right. you know, through time to rise again. And the, that quality of timelessness and endurance that we see in Netzach uh, connected to that God, God figure as well. That makes sense. Why don't we why don't we talk some about. You know, what's going on with your super cool tiger versus lion thing in Tabula um, yeah, Mundi? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, the battle of dragon versus tiger, which is a martial arts concept where, you know, the dragon is the martial force, the male force. It's the blood force. It's the sun rising in the east, and it's the... The yin within the yang. So it's basically a yang force, but it's the, the little, the little white dot inside the black, black half, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the, the tiger is the, the exact balance of that, which is the more, the female force. It's the, the Venus force, mm-hmm. the chi, the yang within the yin, and it's the sun setting in the west. So in martial arts, it's interesting because the male force is said, to have a soft attack or a soft where it's a cir- it's more of a circular thing mm-hmm. we would think of that as being you know the feminine side but where the feminine side has the heart attack the hard attack <laughs> so you know the the hard attack is symbolized by a straight line where the soft attack is symbolized by a circle so one is you know, defensive and one's offensive, but they're both needed. And then because one's yin within yang and one's yang within yin, they both can flip flop between each other to try to correct this balance in this dance. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's the, it's the battle between blood and chi. You know, it's when in, when you're in a defensive position, that's when courage becomes possible. And then you can, you know, rise to the challenge and, and go on the offensive. Yeah. And that reminds me of the fact also that, you know, we're dealing with, if we're dealing with lust or strength and the tower, we're dealing with two horizontal paths that there's that balance between force and form right. in both of them. So your card also reflects that sort of constantly borrowing yeah. from one, you know, exactly. um, within the That's other. Exactly it. 
And you can even see the way you have them positioned. It's almost as if one is on the side of yeah, and, and they, one is they're on the able side to switch four. back. So I've kind of put the the uh, the dragon on the straight line, the offensive. He's where the tiger is in the defensive position, where traditionally they're the other way around, because it's to show that yin within yang and yang within yin, where they can um, kind of switch as what the occasion calls for. So this card to me is all about finding a balance and, you know, rising to the occasion and bringing what's necessary to overcome, you know, a defiance or resistance to overcome this imbalance, whatever imbalance is, you know. Right. So then there's the there's also there's this uh, there's the diagonal path of kind of like the uphill battle, you know, not only are you being attacked from behind, Mm -hmm. but you're trying to move your way uphill as well. And, um, you know, in the card, the dragon is from the tower card and the tiger is so, sort of a big cat, like a form of, you know, the Leo card. And then uh, the tower in the background is another, you know, part of the tower. But it also shows that there's like there's a quest going on, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know what I think is so interesting about your choice of that? particular tower oh, that's totally, a writer yeah. wade smith tower oh, it to- you know, it's it not totally your own tower <laughs> homage to uh pamela <laughs> yeah i love that i love that it's sort of like hey there so it's the tower uh it's the tower from the tower but also a little bit like the towers that we see on the moon and right. the death cards as well a little bit like that i i just love the way you know it's got the same three windows with the flames coming out and yeah it's a nice little wave yeah. to to Wade Smith. Yeah. And there's a little bit of um, the grass at the bottom of the card is a little bit of the Venusian, Venusian oh. influence there. Um, and it also helps bring in some of the color scales. So when we, when we talk about the color scales, one of the colors of the tower is the bright red, red azure or emerald. And so wanted some emerald inside that bright red there and the burning grass seemed perfect for venus in this really fiery place yeah and in your um i know you have a couple different versions of the lust card but in you know the one i think the probably the original one uh you've got you know kind of uh flowers yeah. and grass at the base of the card and then it's as yes, if they've been set exactly. by the tower <laughs> yeah that's cool you want to talk a little bit about color Yes, yeah, so the uh, the color for the Sephira is amber. Mm-hmm. So that would be, you know, uh, Leo and Atsaluth. Mm-hmm. And right. Um, right. you see you see amber in both my card and in Crowley's card. Not so much in the other card, unless his tights count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether that's tights or flesh tone or what. Yeah, yeah, I... Yeah, exactly. They're ambery looking. So then the other colors are the colors of the um, two related trumps. So for Leo, we have a yellowish green or a greenish yellow, actually, a deep purple or violet, a gray and a reddish yellow. So Leo goes all the way from the greenish spectrum of yellow to the reddish end of yellow and then has a a gray and a purple as well. Um, And then the tower card are all those flaming reds the scarlet the red mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh venusian uh, not venusian um venetian, venetian red venetian red and then the bright red raid emerald yeah it's, there's a lot of you know it's a really colorful um kind of set of 
correspondences. Yeah, they're kind of clashing colors in a way. Uh, it was <laughs> mm-hmm. they were they were really hard to work with, but I, I kind of had to rise to the challenge. <laughs> yeah, and you can see that you know it's interesting if you look in the Thoth cards, you can kind of see something similar going on. Although uh, they really brought out in the Seven of Wands, Thoth Seven of Wands, they really brought out the purple from yep. the uh, less strength card much more strongly than it appears even there. And you know what's interesting also about the color amber, I think, is, you know, amber is is electric, right? It's, um, you know, in fact, I think the Greek word for it was electron. Uh, and, you know, and it because it has those electric properties and, you know, that just kind of yeah. reinforces to me that spiky, disruptive, you know, flames all over the place, you know, wired feeling of this card. And so you were talking earlier about the electrical conductivity of copper. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of, you know, the qualities of amber because they're similar. Mm-hmm. They have this kind of electric property to them. Mm-hmm. You know, amber is said to hold that a charge where copper conducts a charge. Right. And the other thing is that both copper and amber are of Venus. So, um, in 777, I think it says about the color amber in one section, Crowley says something like it's the color of the golden color of the skin of women that are most enthusiastically consecrated to <laughs> Aphrodite. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And you know what else? Um, you know, what color does copper become when it's oxidized? Oh, green, right? Yeah, the color of Venus. So, yes. I mean, both of them. I love are. that patina color. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, you know, Statue of Liberty. Right, yeah. copper green. Yeah, in fact, somebody should do a Seven of Wands with a you know, Statue of Liberty on it. Somebody probably has. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> so, oh, funny anecdote about the Seven of Wands and the color green. So, um, so, um, so my son, who is uh, 17 years old, he is a huge football fan, and his favorite team is the Packers. So, um, a couple years ago, you know, I I have zero interest in football, and he has zero interest in tarot. So we're kind of perfectly <laughs> matched that way. And uh, a couple years ago, you know, he was about to watch a game, and he's like, "Mom, who do you think will win the game?" And I was like, do I care? <laughs> no, not at all. And uh, but I was I was actually holding a tarot deck as as is so often the case. And I said, so you want to uh, you want to draw a card <laughs> to see who's going to win? But and I said, OK, hold on. Wait. So this is a hard question. So we need to kind of prime the pump. What will it look like if you choose a card shows that they will win. And I was like, oh gosh, I don't know. You know, I mean, this is, this is pretty dumb, but, um, but what, what color are their jerseys? <laughs> he said, well, they're green. And I said, okay, so uh, if somebody's wearing something green, then we'll figure that when you pick the card, then we'll figure that they'll win. But the only card I can really think of that has the guy with the green shirt is the seven of wands. <laughs> and uh, so he, uh, I pulled out the cards and he picked one, and it was the Seven of Wands, and they yeah. won. <laughs> so there you go, tarot and sports, not not as far apart as you might think. If only you could pick me some lottery numbers. <laughs> if 
family at work. And so therefore, you know, in my mind, this card has always been just a little bit associated with football. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, it is Mars and it is Leo. And, you know, Mars does have that physical quality to it. Oh, definitely. You Athletic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. War- warrior energy. Yeah. Yeah. Wanting to win. So when you get this card or when you when when people draw this card of yours, um, do you what do you expect them to be experiencing or to, you know, or to read into it? I would say that it's about overcoming imbalance Mm -hmm. and to take heart and through daring, you know, express offensively from a defensive position. Yeah. You know, the, the rise to the challenge, take heart, beware loss of confidence because it's through, you know, an individual's valor that, you know, the disorder and chaos can be overcome. Whatever the, the dominant force that you're facing, if you rise to that challenge, you can overcome and just remember the, whether to take a soft or a hard approach, whatever the situation calls you're going to have to figure that out and rise to the challenge. And it might be some of each. It might be the yin within the yang or the yang within the yin. But yeah. try to balance the situation, but rise. If if you're being attacked, then defend, but also go on the offensive, you know? Right. And hold forth under duress. Right. I love that, uh, the idea of conducting your offense from a def- from a defensive posture or vice versa. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when I was going through my records of what happened when I got this card, and I do seem to get it quite a lot, um, it had to do, a lot of them have to do with just pushing myself really hard. But it's also, I also got it for like going for very long walks, you know, um, really physical activity. I got with, for a lot of really pretty martial stuff, um, not just exercising, you know, getting outside and and uh, using the body, but also headaches, uh, because that's very martial for me, and like sharpening my knives. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which, you know, is completely uh, not something I realized was associated with this card, but apparently is for me. And uh, also, let's see, um, what else? I also found that I was getting it when I was doing task, you know, trying to problem solve things that are particularly difficult, like do solving a nasty little problem in Excel, you know, or coming up with a difficult formula to do a particular job uh, that I want it to do. Or um, I, I actually got it for, for being sick and working really hard through the mm-hmm. sickness. Pushing you know, which the makes body. A lot of sense, you know, yep. yeah. I had one arm that was, you know, in real pain one one season which uh which was associated with this card and it which you can on the weight card you can kind of see that you know the sort of like he's got this tortured position that he's holding his arms in and you can imagine if you're straining against that how that might cause some kind of uh, stress injury it reminds me of uh what you said to me when i was making the Babylon decks. Oh, yeah. After you had listened to the Rune Soups podcast mm-hmm. and about how uh, the goddess has uh, low tolerance for oh, human yes. limitations yes, or something like right. that. That's right. right. Oh, my God. That just about killed you. Yeah. Right. It did. Because I had yeah, pneumonia so then. Sick. I was working really hard, yeah. um, trying to get all these 
really complex little corsets lace up. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. And, you know, this, this Deccan of Leo seems kind of appropriate for that goddess, doesn't yes, it? Yes, with the seven, right? Yeah, with the seven, with the, mm-hmm. yeah, the Venus, the seven, the Mars, mm-hmm. the, the Leo. I mean, it's all there. Mm-hmm. It's all there. That's true. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember when we were talking about the strength card, we were talking about Babylon as sort of, you know, those three paths, the Empress, Lust, and the Tower, Venus and right. Mars, and her sort of being right there in the middle, combining those those forces of desire and aggression. All right. Well, um, I think we kind of did it. Can you think of anything else that we've missed? No, I think I think we got it. Yeah, I think we did. Um, okay, so we talked about... Uh, huge number of themes in this card. It's it's really a pretty big card. Uh, we talked about the balance of force and form and having a little bit of one inside the other, as in the yin and the yang. Um, we talked about... Uh, uh, victory through action and fighting for what you believe in. That's right. That's right. Uh, persevering through time doing things your own way and on the emphasis on the individual really mm. both, both with sevens in general and also the seven of wands in particular i think you know mr mismatch shoes here right resistance yes the defect inherent in the idea of mars <laughs> <laughs> yep Patriotism is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the heart of the hero, the dragon versus the tiger. Yeah, it's kind of a David versus Goliath type of card, huh? Yeah, it really is. It really is. It's like against all odds. Um, uh, pushing yourself past your limits and past other people's expectations. Yeah. But that through that, you know, courage, you can overcome the difficulties. That's right. So it's really, you know... Um, it's like you take the uh, that tension and pressure from the five and you resolve it in the seven, you know, from what you've learned throughout the suit of Leo, five, six, and seven of wands. All right. So we wish you valor and courage for all of your own quests to all of you heroes of the astral plane. Thanks for hanging with us, and we'll see you next time with the eight of wands. And that's our show for today. You can find us, as always, at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. But there are also a number of other places you can find me and Mel on the internet. All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarotcart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. She's also just started selling signed and matted prints of the Tabula Mundi cards there. So now you can fill all your sacred spaces with beautiful tarot art. As for me, my forthcoming book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is available for pre-order online at Amazon, Book Depository, and more. Just search for Tarot Correspondences, T. Susan Chang, something like that. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints. I also have my Zodiac perfumes there, so you can pick up a bottle of the Mystic Sea for your favorite Pisces, or the cool yet electric Aquarius perfume, which I call Streams of Stars. All of that is at www.etsy.com 
slash shop slash tarotista. And if you'd like a Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. They are at our Red Bubble shop, redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. And for those of you who have been our listeners for a while, thank you. You are the reason we do this. If you're loving Fortune's Wheelhouse and the fantastically geeky world of tarot we bring you each week, would you do something for us in return? Leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It's especially easy if you have an iPad or iPhone. Just search for Fortune's Wheelhouse in the podcast app. And when you see us, tap on our groovy purple album art with the Wheel of Fortune on it. It'll take you right to a page where you'll see a reviews tab. And there you can drop us some stars or leave us a sentence or two, whatever you feel inspired to do. And if you just want to talk tarot, well, you can find me, Susie, on practically every Facebook tarot group there is under the name T. Susan Chang. Thanks for listening. We always love hearing from all you heroes of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support. (laughs) 